Podcasting straight from North Carolina is Dr. Jennifer Eichner-Lowry sharing her author journey with you. Jen Lowry writes is a place where amazing things happen for authors and readers together. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate podcast host. Jen is just the bird singing the song. She is a published author, educator, homeschool mama, life coach, and dreamer. Join her on the daily journey of discovering what this writing life is all about. Let's see what she will be led by the Holy Spirit to talk about today. Here's Jen. Thanks for supporting my Jen Lowry Writes podcast. My purpose is to inspire and encourage others to chase after their writing goals with faith and courage. By hitting the support this podcast button and with your monthly contribution of 99 cents, $4.99 or $9.99, you are helping me chase after mine. Hey everybody, welcome to Jen Lowry Writes. This afternoon, I am so honored to welcome to the show today, Dr. Lucille Burbank. Guys, wait till you meet the loveliness of this lady and hear about the contributions that she has given throughout her career and is continuing to give. Dr. Lucille Burbank is a successful educational media consultant and author. Based on her behind-the-scenes work in the research division of Sesame Street, where she met with the show's head writer to make important script changes, she wasted the definitive 50-year celebration of the historic children's program, The Inside Secrets of Sesame Street, and now it's in its third edition. The recipient of a doctoral degree from Temple University, Dr. Burbank has worked in educational media and technology towards the advancement of education and special education for several decades. Receiving a scholarship while earning her doctorate allowed her to conduct a much larger dissertational study on three prominent children's television shows, Captain Kangaroo, my favorite, Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. <laughs> At Sesame Street, Dr. Burbank is also a sought-after lecturer, presenter, and public speaker. She's conducted numerous workshops and has been invited to speak at state and national conventions. Guys, you can check out her website, teachingkidstolove.com. Thank you so much, Dr. Burbank, for being here. It is my pleasure, and we're just going to have a good time. Yes, because we get to talk about the lovely programming of children's work, of children's networks. So talk to me about how this even started. You could choose anything in the world to study. Oh, my gosh. What happened was, well, I've always been a fan of, of Sesame Street. And so, you know, being in educational media and being able to consult was icing on the cake. Oh, yes. It was fabulous for me. And I always, when I was working on my doctorate, I told my advisor, I said, I would love to see if I could work at Sesame Street because I love children um, and I love ed media and the combination and children's television has always been something that I just um, wished I could have been emerged in earlier on. But Ed Media was okay. You know, the combination of combining education with media worked out beautifully. Any rate, we went to New York City, and my uh, advisor, Dr. Roger Gordon, he said, Okay, I've set up a meeting with the research department. Let's see what we can do. So I studied what was needed, what, you know, everything about them. And I met with them and Dr. Valeria Lovelace, who was the assistant vice president of research, she said, okay, start as an intern. So any way to get your feet in the door. So that summer I worked as an intern and just really, you know, was so fortunate and she was so supportive and she gave me great, important work to do. And then as the time went on, um, they paid me as a consultant. But you know, as I do that you try, when you really want to work someplace, you really just, any way to get your foot in the door is what you need to do. And I feel the joy through this story. 
because you started with a hope. You went after that and look at all of the success from it and all of the experience, the lived experience from it. Yeah, it was, um, I was, you know, in growing up, I was taught to persevere. And also, too, though, it wasn't so hard because if I could, no risk, no gain. So if I could possibly make this come alive in any way, shape, or form, um, I was willing to try it. And she, she just said, okay, let's see what you can do. <laughs> and you showed her and you were successful at that. And then next steps for you. So that in turn, then to consultant. Now your dissertation, you got to choose your topic. You got to choose your, your stories that you were going to capture. Tell me how that experience was with that. It Cause was, it could it be so fabulous. You know, you, when you're doing a dissertation, you, I wrote a couple of proposals, throw them out. <laughs> and then finally it clicked to me and I said, Hey, the creators of Sesame Street are all there. And I can, I wrote 35 research questions out because it was a qualitative study, not so much quantitative. It wasn't statistical. Yeah. I did, yeah. Yeah. I did. I did quantitative study. So oh, you? Yeah, you said 35 questions. I'm leaning in going, okay, I know what's going on here. Go on. Yeah, it is great. And so they went through them. And they approved the questions. And you know, that's always that fun thing about asking the most important questions is what I call being spiritual. It's that quote that I put in the uh, front of the book. And it is, it is so true. Well, at any rate, I started in and I interviewed the directors, the producers, the writers, the researchers, the puppeteers, the actors, and they just love to talk. So I said to myself, this is like an oral history interview, you know, and I might not be able to come this way again. So I brought in all these blank audio cassettes, let them talk, let them talk. They talked for three to four hours sometimes, nonstop. And um, in fact, I was interviewing Bob McGrath, who's um, an actor. He's been a, he was an actor on Sesame Street since the beginning, since its inception. And he, I was at his house and I went through three hours of audio cassettes. And finally, I said, gee, you know, Bob, I'm going to have to stop. He got up, went across the room to his cabinet, this, this office cabinet, flung open the door and said, look at all my blank audio cassettes. We can keep talking. Oh, love that. <laughs> I know. But they all had a ball. And you did, too. I did. Oh, oh, it was so exciting to hear their, learn their wisdom and the richness of what they had to say and their sincerity and their love for their work and for children too. They were never condescending or anything. Everything at Sesame Street is as sophisticated as you can get it. Um, we make sure the pictures are on a child's level and of course the vocabulary, but we never talk down to children. We talk right at them. Uh, Danny Epstein, who's the music coordinator of Sesame Street on Sesame Street, he said, oh, we talk right at them. You know, just they're little people. That's, and that is true. And so now that you've got hours and hours of tapes, <laughs> whoo. Then what do you do next? Because now you have to go through and pull out those 
meaningful moments, those impactful pieces that can create this beautiful picture of what Sesame Street is about. Well, I happened to be married at that time to a court reporter. Now so, that, come on. So yeah, that and, was very, okay, was go ahead. Really, really beautiful. And he sat down and transcribed those tapes. You know, so you didn't have, he did as many as he could. There were some he couldn't do, and I did them. But it was like, you know, peck, pecking on the typewriter. But he did. He sat down and transcribed the tapes for me. Yeah, because that would have been a huge undertaking, or you would have had to outsource that yeah. and probably pay a pretty penny for hours and hours and hours of transcription. Wow. I, yeah, he, he was uh, very, very lovely um, that way and many other ways, too. And... Um, and then there were some he couldn't do, and that's okay. I really, um, I was getting so I could sit and transcribe too, not as fast as he could. But it was worth it because, Jen, I had so much more material. Oh, yeah. And it was in so much more of a context and a setting. And so I could really have fun. And it wasn't like yes, no questions. It was mm -hmm. very flowing, very enthusiastic, very passionate. And so I just, when I went to get it out of my dissertation, because what happened was Sesame Street was reaching 40 years old. And I noticed that the pioneers were passing away. Uh, they unfortunately were dying at a, a relatively young age. I mean, um, for whatever reason, a lot of them did get cancer. And so I said to myself, you know, they've given me all this rich information. I've never writ written a book, but there's a need here. I promised them I would, you know, when you're a doctoral student and you're doing a, and you're a researcher, you promise to disseminate that information. So I said, okay, I'm going to get it out of my dissertation and I'm going to write a book. And I just sat down one day and I started. That was all I did. All um, there was to it now. You make yeah, it sound. Because, you know, when there's a need and you're passionate about that and you're passionate about contributing, um, it's easy. You just go ahead and you do it. Because you had your why, you had established all of that within your spirit. And so when you sat down, the thing is going through. So then you kind of narrowed your focus for dissertation work because it couldn't have been a million pages long. And yeah. then you have to now pull out from there and then expand your yeah, story. Again. But you know, it proved, Jen because I had done the dissertation and I had done a lot of the work and my husband had transcribed, um, it was much easier because it was there. And most of the stuff was there and what it, and what wasn't there, it was easy for me to go to the library, borrow an audio cassette player because, you know, it was out of date, the uh, technology and, get uh transcribe some of the other stuff that i didn't have time to put into my dissertation but it was the work was there and i was excited and it was um and i had had a rest <laughs> from doing my doctorate <laughs> so it was just really i just i took one day and i said i'm gonna start with something that's exciting and by the way, I did start with the exciting story of how Oscar the Grouch got his voice. So we could just detour a little bit. And I can tell you, because you didn't get to read about that. No, I read the Oscar part and I absolutely love the cab driver story. Oh, and how, yes. And I, my husband actually has a crazy email that is in honor of uh, Oscar the Grouch, and he still uses his email as an adult. 
Um, so my husband really? loves, yes. And so at the dinner table, I was like, guys, I've got a story to tell. I've got to tell you guys the story. So I told them the story and they were like leaning in. My family was leaning in really? to hear this. Oh, yes. You're so expressive yourself. So I'm sure you told them the story <sighs> beautifully. Oh, I just, I, I'm sure, you know, I paraphrased from you, but you were the one behind that piecing all of that together and doing that narrative in such that flowing, articulate, beautiful way that then families could then turn around and say, oh, I've got a secret to tell you about <laughs> Sesame Street. And that is one way that this book could, you know, really go into the family unit, not just for researchers or not just for people who are looking to establish, you know, well-written children's material that can stand the test of time, but that day-by-day -day dialogue that you can have with families. Now, let me tell you a secret about yeah. how yeah. Oscar got his voice. Oh, I, I am so glad. Um, never having written a book before, my advisor, my doctoral advisor, the one who got me into going to Sesame Street and led me kind of there, um, he did say I had a conversational style and I was so pleased at the end because, but I did do a lot of editing. As you know, writing is editing. Um, yeah. I mean, unless you edit, it's not going to still be coming across the way you want, or you won't be able to capture your writing style or your voice. And so, um, um, it was exciting for my first book for the critics to come back and say, this is good. I like your voice. I said, oh, my gosh, I have a voice. <laughs> you do. You really do. And you have a presence live like right now. You have a lovely, warm presence. Oh, thank and you. so I'm sure that that kindness that you exude allowed other people to trust you and feel safe in those spaces to be able to share those stories with you. Oh, yeah. And you know, it's it's really so much fun to share. Now, you know, Carol Spinney, the late Carol Spinney, who played Big, Big Bird, Bird, also played Oscar the Grouch. Oscar the Grouch, yep. yep. And you know when I learned that? Inside Secret Successories. <laughs> <laughs> I am so happy you had such fun with it because that makes me feel good it is a joyous story they um the workshop the sesame workshop has brought such joy to so many generations it was such fun telling it all the pioneers i interviewed and i also interviewed mr rogers neighborhood and we'll get to fred rogers i know because you love that um and then, of course, Captain Kangaroo. But, um, and we'll get to that. But everybody had such joy working on the show. And that's what brought everybody together to show the people believed in their work. They loved what they were doing. They knew they were contributing to the lives of children. And what's most important is they all had respect for the mind of a child. It, it was the mature work in itself. It wasn't like you go on to working for children and then you go on to working for adults. Children are the mature work in itself. Yes. And as, as I was growing up, Mr. Rogers was a huge part of my development. And I felt so respected by Mr. Rogers. And I felt like he knew me personally, like when he would just talk and he would share a story, share those moments or share a puppet moment. It made me feel as if I was right there as part of his neighborhood. And so I have such great respect for the work that he did. T tell me a little bit about that interview. Oh, yeah. You know, Fred Rogers is such a special person. And he can make you feel like, well, you know, he, everybody is so important to him and every child is, and they're all special. 
and he really respects children. And he just does that one-on-one. When I was interviewing him, he would say certain things like, Lucille, what do you think about this? Or that's a good comment, Lucille. (laughs) And the thing I learned before I interviewed him is that um, Marie uh, Gian, no, it's uh, Gian Lacus, uh, Gian Marie Lacus. She had interviewed Fred Rogers a number of times, and she talked about how he turns the tables in an interview so that all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're being counseled by him. And you're sitting there getting out your feelings or what happened or your problems or anything because he's all of a sudden counseling you and he's all of a sudden asking you questions. So he did that to me. And I only had 45 minutes with him. It worked. I worked a whole year to get to him. It took a whole year. I interviewed everybody else on his staff in order to get to him. Because, well, you know, they had, a, they had to trust me. And this is a one-man show. And so, you know, um, if I didn't interview him, I really wouldn't know the show. Because he is the host. He is the writer. He's the puppeteer. He's the songwriter. Um, and so, you know, this was important. Anyway, so we're going through the interview and he stops me and he says, Lucille, what do you mean by that? And all of a sudden I'm answering it and all of a sudden I'm going, uh-oh, you know, in my mind. So I quickly answer him and then I turn it around and he just spoke and spoke and spoke. And we had a great time in his neighborhood and he autographed a beautiful uh, card picture of himself and thanked me for coming. And it was a thrilling interview. But from that 45 minutes, I could really write about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood from a very intelligent point of view. And it's because you were in his presence and you were able to feel that spirit. You were able to feel that genuine. Oh, he, yeah. You know, he is what you see on TV is what you get. And it is beautiful just to have um, him. What is on front of the camera, that presence, how he made you feel so special one on one. He does the same thing off the camera. Huh. He's there for you heart and soul and what a man um i don't know if you got the opportunity to see tom hanks play uh fred rogers so i will have to add that one to my list yeah he tom hanks i really admire him as an actor he's very good and he did an excellent job I think it's um, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I'm not sure what it's called. I think you're right. Okay, I have it written down in my journal. It's okay. it's on my to do list tonight or over this long wonderful weekend. Just uh, get it and just watch it with the family. Um, Tom Hanks came as close to being Fred Rogers. You'll you'll I could see a little difference. But if anybody could portray Fred Rogers, Tom Hanks could. And he did an excellent job. And it's an excellent movie. So, um, and the whole family can watch it. Lovely. And that's something else that you work on, too. I want to get back to just your process of the book. But you talk about safe TV for families. Uh, Safety for kids. Talk about how that all came into play. Well, the thing was... Um, I've been in media a long time and I, I'm very selective and I know what goes on, but now with the plethora of media out there and technology and being online, what happened was at the end of my book, when I first wrote it, I did a caveat for parents. 
um, actually it was called a caveat for new parents because I was saying to them, hey, if you start with children while they're young and you teach them to turn the TV on, to be selective, First, you go through the, well, we used to have the TV guy, but whatever you go through these days. Common sense um, media. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you select the program, then you watch it together. And if you can't watch it, that's all right with the child. Then you teach the child to turn it off. You don't leave the TV on so that all the other messages are getting through. And you never know what's coming on or what commercials are coming on or if the channel accidentally changes and then you've got all this other unwanted exposure. So being a media, I felt there should be at the end of my book a chapter on media literacy. My gosh, we have to learn how to correctly use the media, how to be selective, how to use it in moderation, and that um, there should never be an imbalance on too much media. There has to be a balance erring on the side of being outdoors and especially with people one-on-one. And then the media is just like a compliment and it just brings joy and inspiration, but not too much. And you can always tell when it's too much because then that joy and inspiration becomes kind of a, a, an addictive quality, especially these days. So after I wrote that last caveat, it was in the appendix for parents, I thought, oh, I need to get a booklet out now. And so I did 52 tips for parents, guide your, your child to safe TV and electronic media. And there I really go into all the fun tips and what to do and what to look at and what to look for. And because it's important these days, we really need to supervise their use. And so here's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that you see a need. You see a way you see this place that you have an expertise in are a passion about and then it turns into the next writing thing it does you know that's a very insightful observation when you have and sesame street was born out of a need for better children's television free um, educational children's television PBS. Right, yeah. there wasn't a lot of educational material on there for children now Captain Kangaroo tried to change that, Bob Keeshan. He he was teaching a lot of educational material. He was it wasn't in a curriculum. Um, it wasn't in a it was not in a curriculum. It was not curricular oriented, but it was there. And he was using a bridge from the familiar to the unfamiliar to teach them tremendous concepts how a bridge is built or relativity and so forth. And he just really thought, gee, you know, the children need, they can learn. You just have to put it on their level and they can learn anything and everything. And he really was um, very big on that. And because of that, Captain Kangaroo was a precursor to Sesame Street. It paved the way for this wonderful educational television that Sesame Street does. And it also, Sesame Street revolutionized learning because now we've got learning is fun. You combine entertainment with education in that right blend and you've got joy. You've got joy in learning, and actually learning is joyous. Yes. So talk that, about... But, you know, that wasn't brought out until Sesame Street was born and um, debuted in... Sesame Street debuted November 10th, 1969. And this was a very revolutionary idea 
but um, it has it has changed generations of children, which is really fun. And then we had Electric Company and Reading Rainbow. And I could just continue to talk about all of the love that comes from high quality children's work and established work like Sesame Street forever. Like me, my children, my nieces, my great nieces and nephews, you know, we're Sesame Street raised. It is wonderful. And reading Rainbow was so good ah. about showing that a program could talk about books. And then you got so interested in the books the children did that they had a line of books right there for them to buy and publish. And then that caught on so that any children's program, um, they had a line of books right there that would talk about the the series i think there was the school bus series and so now uh, you have some you know some books on that and uh reading rainbow really started that and yes. it is exciting um i remember when i was at the workshop and we were discussing reading rainbow and we were discussing hey when you show a, a person or a muppet reading or a person reading on Sesame Street, be sure not to interrupt because interrupting the reader is, is a, a bad form and bad taste. And we were looking at that and saying, hey, you know, this is something we don't want to do. We want to show them concentrating and reading and it flowing right through. And there were little things of do's and don'ts that the research department would make sure that the writers had access access to the uh, head writer, um, Norman Stiles, who was so great. Um, I would meet with him and say, hey, we have to make sure this is here. This doesn't do this and da 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 because the producers, they love having comedy and it's very important, but we can't have the comedy negate the educational lesson. And we have to just have both the comedy and the education support each other and reinforce each other. So um, it was really fun for, and this is what's so beautiful about Sesame Street they are the first show that researchers and producers work side by side. I read that in your book and I was so impressed by that because you don't know those behind the scenes things. You just say, you know, there's writers there. What are they pulling from and what's that team like? And so you really do shed a lot of valuable information and tips in there too. You have pieces there if you would like to carry out something like this, learn from this. Yeah, it is. I just felt like I wanted to make it not only interesting, but you could implement it. Yes. And, and that is fun. Or, and then I was learning lots of new things too. So I was putting them in the, at the end of the chapters about the, um, the power of practice, for instance, Oh, I never realized how powerful it was. And then I came across this book and it talked about how to develop an IQ or a talent or a skill. Practice is really an important environmental factor. It's not so much the genes you're born with. It's how everything interacts with the environment and practice is an environmental factor that you can do. And then they go into like Ted Williams practicing until his hands bled. And Yo-Yo Ma being brought up on music lessons and music surrounding the environment. And so I learned that the environment is plays a very important role, actually a pivotal role in developing your IQ or your skill or your talent. And I hadn't known that before. So I go, oh, I have to put this in. <laughs> you gotta add it in the book. You gotta add it in. Yeah, and so, because 
we have more control that way on who we how we turn out yes the hope is there i can continue practicing podcasting eventually it's gonna get there so i do want to ask you all of the lessons that you had to learn with an author hat because as you say you've never written a book before you sit down and you write it so what were some of those lessons like for you just the writing of the book um first of all i think what helped me a great deal is first of all i i just sat down one day and i said i did it i mean i'm gonna do it but it's like you don't have to spend a whole lot of time you can spend i read this book about making your dreams come true and i read that you only have to spend two hours a day on making your dreams come true so i would spend two hours and i know that seems like a small amount of time but with everything that we have to do if you can spend two hours a day you will get started and you will continue uh because it's exciting because you can make time to do your dream. You don't have to wait for a huge chunk of time. And, and so the first day I started with Oscar the Grouch writing about the voice. And, you know, I really only got a page. And I said, okay. And I stepped away from it. So that was another lesson I learned. After you write, you have to, excuse me for one second. You have to step away and don't don't worry about it just do something else and then the next day when you're fresh and whether you're a morning person or a night person right at the time that you have the most energy and you're just really alive and well and everything so the net i'm a morning person so the next morning i went there another two hours i go oh and then I had, and then one thing was leading, it was like a snowball effect. Um, I would finish this page, then I think of something else, then I'd look at my dissertation and then something else. It was like everything was connecting and I was brainstorming as I was writing because, well, you know, some people write from an outline and you can do that if that works for you. It doesn't work for me. It just works to start with something exciting and then go, oh, but that's another exciting point. And then, oh, yes, and let's bring this in and so forth. So as I worked on it each day for two hours, it was growing and growing. And then it's like, oh, well, maybe I can work three hours today. Mm. Yes. And then maybe I can do four hours. I'll wake up earlier or something. You get so excited as you see it materializing before your eyes. Um, the other thing I learned in writing a book, so all, you don't have to prepare the environment. You just sit down. I write on the computer. You know, some people don't wherever, you know, however you want to write or do things, do it in the way that is good for you and you feel very comfortable. I've always written on the computer. So I just sat down and with a blank sheet and just went there. Um, the other thing I learned after we're going through it and we're going through it and we're going through it is I hired an editor um because i wanted to see what an editor you know what an editor could do and also you tend to be i tend to be verbose and you know um so the editor was good she taught me a number of tricks and things like that um and then though you know after she finished editing it I still didn't feel like it was tight enough. So I went back and I used 
her techniques, but then I started developing techniques. And again, it's just practice and just doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. So I must have edited my first book, uh, which was a text-only book. This one's pictorial um, at least five times. So the first book that came out, I went through it, editing again and editing again. And sometimes I'd start in the middle. Sometimes I'd start at the end. Sometimes I'd start any place. And just to, so it wouldn't be too monotonous. So when I, now the first book, text only, um, will be for libraries and it's called Secrets from Sesame Street's Pioneers, How They Produced a Successful Television Series. That, so when it came out, the critics said, oh, this, this, and this, but we want pictures. Mm. And I thought, oh my gosh, the Muppets are so heavily copyrighted. I don't know how I can do this. Exactly. So came in to me and she said, Seal, you've got pictures. I think you can do this. She was so, so, you know, encouraging. So I looked and I looked and then I had the idea of going through Time Magazine and TV Guide and seeing if I could get the pictures of the Muppets that way. Which you did because they're in the book. So yes. <laughs> that <Yes>. worked. <laughs> the workshop was very, very expensive. So I thought, well, let me see what I can do. And it worked out beautifully. Yeah. And and then, you know, um, then Carol Spinney, he, um, when he, he, he uh, edited also my manuscript, the first one, he did. He was so great because I, I sent it to him and I said, Carol, can you make sure this is accurate? I didn't think he was going to edit it, but you know what I mean? And he came back and he says, you know, you have something here. I'm going to really go there. And we worked together and he said, I want it to be accurate. So he elaborated on his experiences that I wasn't able to, you know, be there or see all the on-studio stuff, in-studio stuff that he did. And I sent him my first book and he said, no, send me another copy. So I sent him another copy and he sent back um, drawings, his watercolor drawings of Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch. And I know and you were not expecting that gift. I wasn't. I wasn't. And it was fabulous. And then at Christmas, he would send me Christmas cards. And we just, he, I, he was just a gracious person. He was so wonderful. For instance, I had an interview with him. And we had made the date on Good Friday. And I thought, yes, and I thought he was aware it was Good Friday, or maybe he wasn't. But at any rate, he said to me, okay, I'll meet you at three or four in the afternoon because I want to get some work done at the administrative offices there before you come. And lo and behold, because it was Good Friday, nothing was open in New York City. And he could have gone home and rescheduled, but he waited for me. So I come in around three or four, I can't remember the exact time, and we're meeting at the gingerbread restaurant right next door. And I go running over to him and I'm looking at him and he looks a little bit kind of calm and a little bit sad. And I said, what happened? He said, everything was closed. And he said, but, you know, I thought I would wait for you. And we had the most, I mean, how do you, what do you say to such graciousness? What do you say to such generosity? There and are so, no words, you know. It's, it's just acts of kindness times 10. Oh, 
and all of them were so kind. And at any rate, we, um, I, we had um, a private dining room. They set us up a fireplace. He had onion soup. And he talked and talked and talked. So about three hours later. <laughs> um, and then he did, he, he drew a picture. He had a postcard of Big Bird. And he drew a picture of um, Big Bird because he could draw. He was a cartoonist and so forth. And then he autographed that to my son, Daniel. And to this day, Daniel, who is much older, but we have it and it's a family. It's, it's just so such a treasure in the family. So when you open your book and you see the soft yellow feathers, it's almost yes. like you want to reach out and capture one of his feathers that had fallen. It's almost like you can touch it. Just the whole design. That's what brings you into your book. The imagination and the thirst for more. Thank you so much. Yeah. I can't take full credit for the design. I worked with um, Gwen. Um, she is a designer and she was the color interior designer and color person with Book Locker. The book is published by Book Locker in Florida. And she just went there and we went there together and between the two of us, but I have to give her credit. She really did a beautiful job on the design of the book. It's, it's lovely. It's so lovely. Thank but your you. words are lovely. And you sharing that out, I want to thank you so much for all of the energy ah. and the time and the care that you do with the work that you provide for families, for old folks like me who grew up during that time and just love to have the inside secrets just to know, to bring us closer back, to remind us about our childhood, to bring us closer to what matters. And it just, it's just a wonderful book. Thank you so much. And um, anyone can buy it on Amazon, but I mean, I would love to send you a copy and autograph it. Yes. <laughs> Listen, my I got my first bookcase ever last year. Oh, and it's great. filled. And so then uh, my husband's friend said, wait, she needs another one. So they helped me get another bookcase. And now I have a lot of room on it. It's over here. So it would be a special place <laughs> to have your book on that bookcase oh, signed. Thank you so much. I am so excited um, that you have a bookcase. Yes. I'm in the process of moving to Virginia to a bigger place, and I will have my own bookcase. Yes, <laughs> the dreams the dreams that we have. One day, I, I, uh, my husband's going to build me a library room, and it's just going to be all behind is just bookcases. He said, we won't see walls. We'll just see bookcases. I'm going to have my Beauty and the Beast library wall. Oh, that is wonderful. I am so thrilled to talk with you. And yes. you're such a, a reader, and you, you are so inspiring, and I'm sure – you have inspired and contributed so much to so many people. I can tell just by talking with you. Thank, uh, thank you, you for this honor of being on your show. What you, this is a blessing for me. So <laughs> I know that the audience is loving it right now. So tell us, Dr. Lucille, how can people connect with you? Oh, my gosh. It's very easy. I'm pretty accessible. We don't need to go through my website right now because it's being reconstructed. Okay. Okay. So we'll just do my email and anybody just send what you want to send via the email and um, maybe you can text it. Um, I can give it to you now or we yep. can do it. You can, can give I it to me now. And email now. 
Yes, if that's how you would like people to contact you, and then I can put it in the description as well. Oh, that would be great. Okay. This doctor, R like in red, L like in Lucille, Burbank like in LA, B U R B A N K at gmail.com. Gotcha. Okay. So All either right. one will be fine. And, you know, um, if even if they want to call me, I, if I don't pick up then, I can get back to them. I really just enjoy talking to people about the book or whatever else they want to know about children's television or Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and Captain Kangaroo. <laughs> yes, Miss Expert. And thank you so much for taking the time to spend with me this afternoon. It has oh. been lovely. It's I am looking for both of us, for me too, Jen. Thank you. I'm looking forward to more of your work because I have a feeling that where there's a need, Dr. Lucille's going to be there to help fill that with educational work. I will. <laughs> yep. I will. I definitely will. You really got me on that. You really <laughs> understand. That's really perceptive. Thank you. You're so welcome. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us today at Jen Lowry Writes. We hope that you have a blessed one. See you guys later. Now that you found me on the Jen Lowry Writes podcast, I challenge you to head over to where books are sold and find me there. I've published 11 books so far, and I write clean books for all ages. Horror, paranormal, sweet romance, fantasy, historical fiction, you name it, I've got your genre. Search Jen Lowry at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Kobo, and more. And for my Bible devotionals, you'll see my full name, Dr. Jennifer Eichner Lowry on Amazon. So I challenge you today to go out there and write something inspiring and share it with the world. Thanks for joining me on Jen Lowry Writes. You guys have a blessed day.